welcome to Sustain, the podcast where we talk about sustaining open source in the long haul. Who are we? Where did we come from? Where are we going? How can I just send money to like maintainers? Just blank check, just go take it. Today, we'll be talking about one way of doing that from Joel Wasserman, who's joining us from Seattle. Before I get to introducing Joel, I want to talk about the other panelists by briefly stating their names. Justin Dorfman, are you alive today? I am alive, yes. Eric Berry, are you alive today? I'm really excited about this one today. This is going to be a great episode. Me too. Let's jump right in. Joel, how are you doing today? Good, and I appreciate you all having me. Awesome. So tell us a bit about what Flossbank is. Yeah, so I guess I just want to just start out with something a little bit different real fast. just want to say I'm so honored to be on this podcast. Pete and I kind of look up to CodeFund and, and Gitcoin and Open Collective and all these companies that kind of embody the morals and principles that we strive to achieve. So this is really cool. So I want to say thanks so much for having me. That's incredibly kind. Thank you very much. <laughs> yes, thank you. Yeah, thank I feel you. important. That's so kind. But yeah, so I work on Flossbank. Flossbank is basically our attempt at paying or compensating open source authors and maintainers, kind of as you stated. So there's been a lot of different methods in this space that have been tried, you know? I mean, short of sending ravens with checks tied to their feet over to your doorstep, we've tried all sorts of different things. What sets Flossbank apart? How does the method work for Flossbank? Yeah, so we kind of built Flossbank on the philosophy that maintainers shouldn't have to do anything besides maintenance of their code or coding. Also, we're a little bit tired of what felt like a zero-sum game with developers just paying other developers to continue developing. So based on those two issues, about a year and a half ago, we saw Ferros do his ads in the terminal experiment, and we saw kind of the aftermath of that. And so the aftermath was, was kind of the, the downside. But the upside was we saw this as a really interesting opportunity to actually mask the output of open source installations. So this will all circle back. This will all make sense in a second. But we end up seeing Ferros's experiment. We think, hey, this is actually a great way to pay open source authors and maintainers, which is seeing ads in the terminal during the installation of open source projects. And then we took it a little bit further and we said, why don't we actually just create a system that automatically distributes that revenue all the way down the dependency tree of every single installation. So we built it at its most basic form. A user can just sign up. And then whenever they install open source packages, they'll see an ad in the terminal or a few ads in the terminal during the installation. So the normal output will be hidden, which previously we thought was just a bunch of garbled text. And they'll see a few ads and the revenue will be distributed to the packages that they use. For those of you who don't know, Ferros's experiment was Ferros is a major maintainer on NPM and he wanted to get more money for his work because who wouldn't? And so he basically put an ad in. So when you NPM installed his package, it would say, please pay me, basically. And there was a lot of flack for this because everyone's like, whoa, I was just trying to install something. Now I'm being asked to pay for open source. This is ridiculous. And there was a lot of pushback, but it was a really interesting experiment because no one had tried that before. And yes, people should get paid for their work. Like, that's really nice. So it's really cool that you've run with this, Joel. I have a lot of questions. My first question before I dive into like the nitty gritty is how did you and you said Pete must be the co-founder? Yes. How, how did both of you 
get involved? How did you notice that this was a thing? Are you developers yourself? Yes. So we're both engineers. I work full-time at Google. He works at Amazon. We actually met before we both had these respective jobs. We used to work at a company together beforehand and love open source, passionate about open source, but only recently kind of became aware of the problems facing open source as Pete became a, a much more active maintainer. And, and yeah, we, I think we both became very passionate when we realized the intersection between politics and open source and kind of the systems at play there. So I think it was just a symptom of being passionate about it, seeing Pharos doing something, seeing others try to do something, open collective, Patreon, et cetera, and saying, hey, maybe we can contribute what little we can to this space. Awesome. Okay. You said that people basically have to sign up to run Flossbank. So it's not something that they're natively going to just have when they're running a problem, like a when they're installing, you know, create React app, it won't be part of that necessarily. So it's basically a sign-up only system and then a donation only system. So it's sign up and then you have to decide how much money you're putting in, right? So there's two barriers towards like free flow that's being forced. Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah. So let me clarify that a little bit. So basically we have this, this idea of a user, which is a user of open source. There was a bunch of problems we were trying to solve, but they can give back by either seeing ads in their terminal, which is our free way of giving back. And we built that on the philosophy that anybody should be able to give back to open source. You shouldn't have to have these deep pockets in order to actually give back to open source projects. So we built this kind of free way to give back, which is seeing ads in the terminal. Or alternatively, a lot of developers also don't like ads. So they could opt in to donate instead, do a monthly donation. And that monthly donation would then be distributed monthly to all the packages that they installed. But yes, like you pointed out, we are opt-in. I think that's really important. Uh, we found in the developer community that nobody likes anything pushed on them. And just in general, we think things should, of course, be opt-in. So we, we went down that path. So yes, there is a barrier to signing up. We also built this on the belief that there are enough people in the ecosystem that actually want to give back. There's just maybe not very easy ways to do it. And we also thought sometimes monthly donations can get annoying to maintain. So I could use Create React App one month and then maybe in October, let's say. And then in November, I'm actually a full-time Vue developer. I donated to Create React App, but now I still have this recurring donation. How long do I keep that recurring donation after I stop using Create React App? There's some sense of maintenance to that. And so we realized that Wow, if we're already plugged into the terminal, if we're already plugged into what packages are being installed, why don't we just update those donations automatically for the users of open source? So we kind of wanted to make this ability for people to one, give back to maintainers for free by seeing ads, two, donate if they wish, and then three, make everything maintenance free. Make it so you can just use Flossbank and never think about giving back to open source again. You can say, hey, I want to donate a hundred bucks a month, and it just gets distributed where it needs to go every month based on your usage. I really love the effort that you're putting in here. And I applaud you. Both Justin and I have had a lot of experience being post Code Fund alumni. And some of the questions that I had when I was looking over all of your documentation and trying to understand how everything works, quite a few questions came up. I guess the first one is, it's really difficult to distribute funds to a mass amount of people, especially in a scenario where they don't know they're going to get paid. You have money coming in either through direct donations where they opt in monthly or through advertising, which I'd like to get to. 
But let's say you bring in this month, maybe 15 or $20,000. You say that money gets distributed all the way down to every package. How does that happen? Is that through Open Collective or do you reach out to them or essentially how does that work? So to be completely transparent, we are in the process of building our maintainer portal. So currently, actually no maintainers can get paid, but that is a work in progress. So yeah, we are talking to Open Collective is definitely going to be one way for maintainers to get paid. When we've talked to Open Collective, they've kind of conveyed accurately, I would say that they're solving the how do maintainers get paid side of the equation. And we have realized that we are really solving the how to bring more money into the system part of the equation. So we are definitely going to be working with external partners, trying to make it as easy as possible for people to get paid. So we went back and forth a few times, whether we should make a maintainer sign up before adding income to their database line item. In other words, like make a maintainer have to opt in to FOSBank in order to get paid. We actually decided to go against that. The reason we did that is because we actually want every package to get compensated based on usage. And then at some threshold, once we realize, hey, there's a dollar waiting for a maintainer, we want to do our best to reach out to them and say, hey, there's money in this system for you. Just sign in and pull it out. We want to make it as seamless as possible. Like I mentioned before, we really want maintainers to just have to worry about maintaining and coding. We don't want them to have to do any self-promotion, any marketing. We just want to say, hey, come in and claim your money. To be clear, money actually is given to packages. So the way it'll work is a maintainer will log in, authenticate with GitHub or some other package manager system. And then we can see who owns the packages. And if they own it, then they have kind of administrative rights to uh, say, maybe I need to invite another maintainer to come in because the other maintainer actually does most of the work and they should get 80% of this revenue and I'll take 20%. So we want it to be this kind of just super easy way for a maintainer to log in, say, okay, I have $10 a month coming into this package. I want to distribute it amongst these five maintainers that really help me maintain this code. So you're having the maintainers themselves decide how to divvy up the, the funds. Yep, exactly. What's your plan of distribution? How do you distribute those funds? Yeah, so for each maintainer, it can be unique to them. We're definitely going to do Stripe payouts and we'll definitely do Open Collective are the first two that come to mind. We're working on a few other options. So we're just going to provide a gamut of options and whichever one works for the maintainer, they'll pull out the money that way. So is this a 20% time project? Like, How does Google and Amazon feel about something that has to deal with money and you know your time and all that? I would love to... I'm really interested in hearing the answer. <laughs> yeah. So to be completely transparent, I'm not really sure Google or Amazon knows or cares. We built this as a side project. We started experimenting with things. We are engineers. And the symptom of that is that we generally will just jump in and start building something. We're kind of reaping the negative effects of that now because we have almost no business acumen. We effectively just build things. Not sure if Google or Amazon know or care about this. Uh, built it as a side project just for fun. We wanted to see if we could kind of hide the native output of open source installations. Instead, show an ad. That's kind of how it all started. And then we realized, wow, we can actually build something out of this. Let's see where it goes. And that's kind of still where we're at. I do think it is interesting bringing 
the open source funding or sustainability issue to light through any methods, even the Streisand effect, if I do get fired or something like that, that would be a win in our eyes. So we really want to create even just a little bit of change in this ecosystem if possible. What's your long-term goal with this? Are you looking to have this be primary business eventually, or how do you see this in a year? Totally unsure. We want to just provide the best experience for the users being maintainers of open source or consumers of open source. So if that means we need to quit our jobs, then we'll quit our jobs. If it becomes big enough and we get a grant or something, we'll, then we'll quit our jobs and work on this and kind of give it our all. We, we just want to give it as much as it deserves. Right now, we still need to sustain ourselves first and foremost. So until we can sustain ourselves by some other means, we will will keep our jobs and continue working on this kind of nights and weekends, which is what we're currently doing. I know we talked a little bit about the business side of things earlier. I'd like to dig into that a little bit. One of the challenges of raising funding for open source is oftentimes that there's a lot of kickback or negative feelings towards anybody who's trying to glean some of the funding off of funding other people. And it's a really complex problem to work with. A lot of developers just don't understand what it takes to create a business that will generate impactful revenue. Tell me about what percentage you're planning on taking and how you plan on using that money as it comes in. Yeah, that's a fantastic question. That's a fantastic point. I mean, Andre Stoltz, who you recently had on the podcast, he stated in one of his blog posts, I don't remember how long ago, talking about how open source is broken or something, said that if GitHub gave back even a fraction of what they were bought by Microsoft for, then that would be 10x or 100x fold what the open source ecosystem actually received in donations that year. So to your point, yes, these like businesses glean some money off of trying to raise money for open source. And that is definitely something we want to be aware of. So to cut to the chase, we take 30% of ad revenue, basically saying that, hey, ads are this new system of being able to give back. So we're taking a chunk of that. We're only going to take 1% of donations effectively to keep the lights on. So we are, I feel like, in a unique spot to be building this because we have full-time jobs, because we're only doing this on nights and weekends, we don't have to take very much. So we, we want to continue this philosophy that we're only going to take what's necessary to, to pay Mongo, to pay AWS, and keep driving forward. Now, if all of a sudden we got a huge influx of revenue, I think the story might change a little bit. We might quit. We might realize that we need to sustain ourselves from this exclusively. And in doing so, use that new revenue or incoming revenue to kind of just give our all to the ecosystem and see what happens. We're builders, and I'm excited to see what we could build if people gave us the time to do it all day, every day. I want to applaud that answer. I was very nervous to ask you that because I I was afraid you're going to say, like, we're going to take 5%. And for those listeners who are listening and thinking, wow, 30% is a lot. That doesn't seem right. 30% is probably the minimum amount that you can take to make a viable business. It really comes down to a question of, will this last? For it to last, they need money to come in. So the 30% is a minimum amount. I would say 40% is probably more healthy, especially in the beginning. Again, I want to applaud the previous answers. And this is really awesome because it's clear that you're just someone who cares about paying maintainers and you want to do something awesome, which is great. And that you're builders. One of the things I'm curious about is there's a lot of donation models out there. 
there's Patreon, there's GitHub sponsors, there's Open Collective. There are, you know, things like Pharos is saying, you could just do that as a maintainer. Are you worried at all about fragmentation of the space? And the fact that like, there's so many different types of ways of paying maintainers now through donations that it'll just end up being, you won't be able to establish a core set of users, right? I mean, Tidelift also does something similar with dependency trees. So how do you justify Flossbank versus everything else? And what's your vision for making it stand out? Yeah, there's a few different ways we're going to go about this. Flossbank, as I'm sure you can tell, is like many different verticals within the open source space. There's kind of the advertising side of things, being able to advertise directly for an advertiser to advertise directly to user uh, developers, right? In their workflow, that's a whole vertical. And just to remind you, we're only two people. So there's just so much in this space. There's the generating revenue through the ads in the terminal and donations. There's the maintainer side of things. And then we're also trying to raise money right now. We're building Flossbank Enterprise to raise money from businesses. So to be clear, yes, we could cause fragmentation. I actually don't see any issue in fragmentation. We actually are are thinking about this right now. So in my spotlight, I'm going to bring up Coil, but I'm going to bring them up a little bit early. They are creating this web monetization protocol, or they're working with others to create this web monetization protocol so that anybody can put this payment pointer on their website. And then Coil, if somebody has a Coil extension installed or any other company pops up in the future. If any of those companies are bringing in money, that website that has a payment pointer will end up getting some of that revenue. So we are thinking about right now, how can we maybe translate this to the open source arena? How can we make it so that maybe there's a protocol in the future that a maintainer can just put in their package, JSON, some pointer? And then it doesn't matter if Flossbank is the one that's distributing the money or Open Collective or Coil, or who knows what will pop up in the future, but it'll make it easy for that maintainer to receive funds. So in that sense, fragmentation wouldn't even matter. As long as the maintainer has a pointer of, hey, this is actually where this project should get paid, there could be as many fragments sending them money as there are stars in the night sky. And that would be totally okay. Let's dig now into a little bit into the advertising side of things. As you know, I have a pretty strong background in advertising and especially in the field of open source. I'd love to know your approach on advertising, how you're finding advertisers and what advertisers you have lined up. So I'm actually excited you asked this because we actually reached out to Eric with Ethical Ads. And I assume you aren't aware, but we're actually serving Ethical Ads in the terminal right now. That's Eric Holscher, not Eric Berry, right? Right. Yes. Uh, Eric Holscher from Read the Dogs. He's one of my favorite people. He's he's the man. He's He's the person who actually inspired CodeFund. Yep. Yep. Oh, that is awesome. Yeah. So we reached out to him, talked to him. We said, hey, we're trying to do too many things. Finding advertisers is not what we're good at. It's not what we will ever be good at, more than likely. You actually just do that. And Eric Berry, you used to do that. So why don't we just try to serve these ads in the terminal? And it turned out to be not very much work. So we're actually doing that now. We've hooked into that system. We're also serving our own ads. And by that, I don't mean we're serving Flossbank ads. We're serving kind of ads for open source projects that we have just found to be cool. So we want a developer's experience if they install Flossbank 
to not be just seeing some garbage ads. We want them to see actually cool and new, interesting tools or packages that they could be using in their development flow. So we kind of pre-populated an ad campaign with like 40 or 50 really cool open source packages or tools that we know about to kind of just seed the system. But yeah, it's kind of unclear where we're going to go from here. We're definitely hooking in ethical ads. We're not sure how much ethical ads we're going to be serving versus some other advertiser who may approach us, kind of TBD. I like that. You kind of have like a fallback ads for you know nothing really profitable. And it just got me thinking, it'd be really interesting to see on some packages, like a quick bio of the maintainer that maintains a certain package because it's been proven that there's one to two maintainers per NPM package on average. And it just kind of brings like a human side to it. So I don't know. I'm just thinking out loud, but that's really cool. That also reminds me of another question I had earlier, which you said you just want maintainers to just want, you know, to code, right? You just want them to code. But there's a lot more that goes into building software than coding. And so what are you doing to support people who are not maintainers, but who are major contributors to packages? Yeah, absolutely. So I think I touched on this a little bit earlier, but when a package has revenue, we will email them, let them know, hey, you have incoming revenue, come in and claim it. So let's say, Richard, you logged in and a repo you own has revenue. If you realized that a doc writer or somebody is just really good at creating issues in your repository, they probably deserve some of that revenue. Then you could just type in their email, invite them and say, hey, this person receives 60% of the revenue coming in. Like, Let them figure out how they want to pull it out. Cool. So absolutely. I think it's something to emphasize for all listeners that open source does not only consist of writing code. It consists of maintaining docs, readmes, tutorials, issues. Don't hesitate to think that you are a part of open source if you are just creating issues or commenting on issues even, you are contributing. But there's no automatic way of doing that. That's still at the, basically at the behest of the maintainer to come in and say percentage-wise that goes to these people. Correct, yeah. So the only automated way we can do it is for somebody to say, hey, I have read and write access to a repository. So they should get some percentage, but we're not going to try to take over how that percentage is divvied up. We trust kind of the democratic process of a repository's maintainers to figure it out. Love it. Eric, you probably have more questions. (laughs) My mindset's moving from questions to like, how can I help you? How can I coach you? How can I like make it so you don't run into the problems that we ran into? And I guess I'll start, where are you at now as far as what's your adoption? How many people are using this? I went through and I tried to install this while we're talking and I found out that it doesn't work with Z shell. So I don't know if I just have to have bash, but I cannot get it working for the life of me on Z shell. But where are you at as far as how many people are using it right now? How many, I guess you don't need to worry about the advertiser side because read the docs does a great job at that, but what's the current state? So to be clear, we haven't built the entire system yet. So we are in the process. We effectively want to finish the entire system being the entire horizontal of having Fossbank Enterprise running, the maintainer portal running, the user portal up and running. So those three are done. Then we will kind of do a marketing push of saying, hey, like adopters, please adopt this. Because as you can imagine, our biggest proponents will be 
maintainers who see revenue in our system. So we can invest all we want in advertising right now saying, hey, people, please use this. But as you can see, there are some bugs. We can invest all we want in that. But until maintainers are actually getting paid, our best advertisers are yet to be tapped into, first of all. And second of all, not very many people want to see ads or donate when the maintainer is not getting paid yet. So kind of the people who have signed up so far understand that, hey, this is a work in progress. We are adding, incrementing a number in a line item in a database for a maintainer, but a maintainer isn't getting paid yet. So we have about a few hundred people currently seeing ads in the terminal. We have a few donors. We have a company signed up who is donating monthly as well. But yeah, as far as, as helping out, definitely file a bug for what you're experiencing right now. We Our CLI is open source. I'm unsure if we have even tested on Zshell. There are so many shells that we're trying to accommodate. So yeah, definitely do that. You mentioned earlier that there is an enterprise version of Flossbake Enterprise. Help me understand what that is, how that works, what the goal is. Yeah, so if you're thinking about, hey, what is this enterprise? I've heard of Tidelift, which is advertising towards companies. Is this anything like Tidelift? And the answer is absolutely not. We're nothing like Tidelift. We kind of have this idea that companies probably want to give back to the open source that they rely on, specifically because if the open source they rely on gets better, their tech stack gets better. So kind of this idea that companies do want it to get better. So we built this platform similar to Back Your Stack on Open Collective, which they're, I don't know if they're actually publicly pushing out, but Back Your Stack, you can go, a company can go put in their GitHub org and then donate. So we're doing something very similar to that. In return for a company donating, they'll get a badge that says, I donate 500 a month, 1,000 a month, or the premium badge is 1% of profits. And of course, that's impossible to verify, so it's a built on trust. But we have this kind of concept in our mind or this hope that companies will give back in order to kind of increase their branding, understanding that people, that developers will apply to go work at these companies if they see that company actually cares about open source. So we create this badge, they can put it on their LinkedIn, their Glassdoor, etc. And that's kind of where we go from there. I want to chime in with a little anecdote. The first conversation we had with a company was extremely depressing. So I want to share it. We talked to a CTO of a company. The company is built on open source. So effectively, what they do is they pull in an open source package, they rebrand it, they twist it a little bit, and then they sell it. And they make a lot of money. They have 5 or 10 or 15 big customers, and as well as 10 or 20 employees. And I talked to them and I said, how much would you want to give back to the open source that you rely on? And they said, well, what return on investment am I going to see by donating? And it, it kind of just it kind of shook us. It was so just almost unsettling to hear that some of these people don't see the return on investment on donating when their whole company is the return on investment. Your whole company is actually only possible because of open source. The fact that you have these employees is your return on investment. That is what open source produces. But of course, I couldn't even put it in words at the time. And it was just, we realized that we do have to create some return on investment for companies to donate back to open source. And so that return on investment that we're giving right now is a badge, which we've found that companies actually want. But we've had companies tell us, hey, we actually pay a lot more to have badges on our website if it increases our branding and if it potentially lets us hire better talent. 
And so that's great. If that's the return on investment we can provide, we'll do it. Love it. Great answer. Thank you so much. How can people get involved with Flossbank? How can they sign up? How can, where can we read about you? Do you have a blog? What's yeah, we would love to have a blog. I think I'm not a great writer. Pete uh, doesn't like writing. So we are struggling on the blog side of things. I think as far as helping out, we have open source repositories. We're trying to open source all of our repositories right now, which we'll probably do in the next week or two. Really reaching out, talking to us. Don't hesitate to reach out. If you're interested in Flossbank, if you think Flossbank is an interesting concept, definitely reach out. Happy to have conversations. We need so much help to get this going. We're so lost in the sauce. There's so much going on. We're trying to accomplish so much. And at the same time, we're trying to do right by open source and do right by the maintainers. And it's a lot to keep in the eight memory slots I have in my mind. So things are constantly falling off the back edge. So definitely reach out. We would love any and all support. If you're a developer, you can sign up to either donate or see ads at fossbank.com. Pretty soon, if you run a company, you'll be able to go to enterprise.fossbank.com and you'll be able to donate monthly and get that badge that we just talked about. Otherwise, contributors, developers, just spread the word. Understand that we're trying to make waves in the open source ecosystem. We're trying to raise money for maintainers. And I want to be clear that the goal is we want anybody anywhere in the world to be able to make money from open source. We think software is better when there's more diverse community contributing code to the open source ecosystem. And that becomes possible if you introduce money into the ecosystem. So that's our goal is to have as many people as possible involved in open source from all over the world and be able to make a living, a sustainable living off of it. Well, that's just not noble or interesting at all. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for being on this podcast. That sounds super awesome. Before we wrap up, I want to get to that normal thing we do at the end, Spotlight, where we point out open source that has helped us along the way and return on that investment that they've given us. So. Eric Berry, what is your Spotlight today? I'm going to step away from the open source side of Spotlight. I know there are tons of projects that are incredible, but after CodeFund, I had to kind of reset everything. And maybe this is some advice for Joel is when you dedicate your life to something and then it kind of comes crashing down around you, you just kind of have to walk away and take a shower and like just sit on the couch and watch TV for a year. And so that's kind of what I've been doing. (laughs) And one of the things that I feel has really been enjoyable is this iPad game called Eve Echoes. It's a phenomenal game that's just so complex, but it is a, a massive multiplayer game, but it's passive. So you can like start something and then come back an hour later and it's still doing it. And Anyway, it's been a real treat for my soul, I think. So Eve Echoes is my uh, spotlight for today. All right. That's great. Justin Dorfman. Yet another blockchain project. It's called Handshake. It's a decentralized blockchain build and dismantle ICANN monopoly on top-level domains, .com.net, blah, 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 blah. So Handshake, check them out. Love it. I have two spotlights today. One of them is Ethical Ads, which is on GitHub. They have open source stuff. You should go check it out. Ericulture is great. And the thing they're doing is great. And of course, it's open source. So that's great. And because Eric reminded me that we don't have to necessarily use code, my friend Maggie Twitchell just finished the Long Trail, which is the oldest long distance trail in the US. It's 168 miles. It goes from Massachusetts to Canada. 
And it's basically open source in the sense that you don't have to pay. You can just go walk on mountains for days. Took her 38 days, massive props, long trails, great. Joel, what's yours? Yeah, so I touched on this earlier, but mine is Coil. I think what Coil is trying to do with web monetization is really interesting. Effectively, they let anybody donate monthly and install a browser extension, and then they handle the distribution of that donation across any website that has opted in to receiving donations. So kind of a way of solving this problem that so much content on the web is posted for free. It's hosted and paid for by the authors and trying to solve a way of uh, funding those people. Joel, it's been a real pleasure to have you on the podcast. Sometimes, you know, I'm kind of wondering, oh, okay, well, this model, will it work? What's going on? What are we going to talk about? We can't be too harsh. But it's really great to have people who just have their heart in the right place who are trying to help other maintainers because then the conversation is always just really lovely and I just feel better having had this, this podcast session. So thank you so much. We <laughs> wish you the best. And let's go pay some maintainers. Yeah, sweet. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. Again, it's this was an incredible honor. I've looked up to you guys for a long time and it's unfortunate Pia wasn't here, but Pia as well. You all are, are kind of some of the heroes of open source. This is really cool. And we'll edit all that out. All right. Thank you no. so much. <laughs> I need to show my mom. <laughs> <laughs>